This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Choosing to be Changed by the Savior. In the first half, we will hear Bishop L. Todd Budge speak on broke hearts and contrite spirits. Then in the second half, Neil J. Anderson gives his BYU address entitled Responding to the Savior's Invitation, Come. I'd like to begin by telling you a story that predates my arrival at BYU. During my last two summers of high school, my parents sent me from my home in California to work for my uncle in Idaho. He operated Budge's Golden Sunshine Honey a family business started by my grandfather in 1924. My father grew up working in the bees, as they called it. He wanted me to learn how to work as he did. The job was hard, and there were very few fringe benefits. But on occasion, my uncle would let me take his 90cc Suzuki motorcycle for a ride. One beautiful summer day, I decided to go by myself on a ride up a canyon just south of the little farming community where I worked. The combination of the blue skies, the bright sun, and the wind in my face was exhilarating. It momentarily made all the hard work and long hours seem worth it. However, several miles up the canyon, the motorcycle suddenly sputtered to a stop. I had run out of gas in the middle of nowhere. This was before cell phones, so I had no way to call for help. I considered my options. Thinking that my uncle would be upset if I were to abandon the motorcycle, I decided to push the heavy bike back home. It was well after dark by the time I reached town. I was thirsty, hungry, and exhausted. As I passed Main Street, I saw my uncle's truck parked at the movie theater. I went into the theater to tell him what had happened. I was surprised by his response when he said, How could you possibly run out of gas? He came out to the street, sat on the bike, flipped a switch, and to my surprise, the motorcycle started. In shock, I asked, how did you do that? Shaking his head in dismay, he said, motorcycles have a reserve tank in case you run out of gas. All you have to do is flip the switch. Embarrassed and humiliated, I rode the motorcycle back home. How many of us struggle through life carrying heavy burdens in the heat of the day, relying on our own strength. I testify that there is another source of power available to everyone. The infinite power made possible by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now there are some, like I was with the reserve tank, who do not access this power because they are not aware of it. It's for this reason that Lehi declared, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth. However, even among those who have been blessed to know of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there are many who do not access its power because they do not believe it will help them or do not know how to access it. Today, I would like to speak about how we can flip the switch, if you will, and allow his power to flow into our lives. Ammon taught that Jesus Christ is a merciful being, even unto salvation, to those who will repent and believe on his name. The Savior declared to the Nephites that the Father commandeth all men everywhere to repent and believe in me. Thus, these two fundamental principles, repenting and believing, 
are key to unlocking the power of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our lives. Therefore, let's briefly consider these two principles, beginning with the principle of believing. You may recall that when the children of Israel were bitten by fiery serpents in the wilderness, all they needed to do to be healed was to look at Moses' brass serpent set upon a pole, but many did not. Alma explains that the reason they would not look is because they did not believe that it would heal them. Do we believe that looking to Jesus will heal us? Believing and questioning are not mutually exclusive. It's perfectly acceptable to have questions about our church history, doctrine, church policies, etc. However, the lens through which we see those questions is the determining factor of whether our faith is strengthened or weakened. Do we seek after truth with an easiness and willingness to believe through the lens of faith or with skepticism and doubt? Conviction does not usually come from an either-or mindset, thinking that one has to know everything to believe anything. Nephi acknowledged that he did not know the meaning of all things, but he knew that God loves his children. Conviction comes from the witness of the Holy Ghost, line upon line and precept upon precept. Nephi is a great example of one who is willing to move forward in faith, despite having an incomplete understanding of the meaning of all things. Seek for answers with a believing heart in the places of light where the truth can be found and in qualifying to be taught by the Spirit. Like Nephi, I do not know the meaning of all things, far from it. However, my testimony is not simplistic or based on blind belief. My testimony is firmly rooted in the witnesses I have received from the Holy Ghost, that God knows me and loves me, that Jesus is the Christ, that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, and that we are led today by prophets and apostles. These simple yet profound spiritual witnesses transcend the complexity of the arguments against the truth and have blessed my life with peace and joy in Christ. Believing in the power, goodness, and mercy of Jesus Christ is fundamental to developing faith unto repentance. As you know, repentance is more than checking a list or going through the motions. I like to think it requires checking our hearts and going through the emotions of turning our hearts to Christ. President Nelson taught, repentance is not an event. It's a process. It's the key to happiness and peace of mind. When coupled with faith, repentance opens our access to the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. It is the equivalent of flipping the switch, if you will. Believing and repenting require that we turn to the Lord with broken hearts and contrite spirits. The prophet Lehi taught his son Jacob that the holy Messiah offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And then he adds, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. So what does it mean to have a broken heart and a contrite spirit? The dictionary definition of a broken heart is the intense emotional pain of suffering one feels after losing a loved one, whether through death, 
divorce, breakup, physical separation, betrayal, or romantic rejection. I'm sure all of us at one time and another in our lives will experience this type of loss. Is that the sacrifice God wants from us? To suffer intense emotional pain? While it's true that repentance is not easy and involves godly sorrow, God suffered the pain of all men that they might not suffer if they repent and come unto him. God's desire for us is happiness and joy, not pain and misery. The word for heart in Hebrew, lev or levav, means the inner man or will. It is similar to what King Benjamin described as the natural man, implying that it is the natural man or man's will that must yield and break in submission to God. This is the sacrifice he requires. To have a broken heart and contrite spirit means that we're willing to put off the natural man and yield our will to God's will, our will being swallowed up in his. Or as President Nelson described it, we are willing to let God prevail in our lives. While serving as a mission president during scripture study one day, I was pondering about the relationship between putting off the natural man and having a broken heart. And the words natural man and broken heart conjured up in my mind the image of a horse trainer breaking a wild or natural horse. I wondered if there might be something I could learn from the process a horse trainer uses to tame a wild or natural horse and the process God uses to tame the natural man in each of us. In other words the process by which God grants unto us repentance. So I did what any good researcher does these days. I googled it. And to my surprise, I found a book called A Broke Heart by a Christian horse trainer. As I read, I gained new insights and saw parallels between breaking a horse and how God was working with me, my missionaries, and many in the scriptures in fact, I have seen this repattern repeated over and over in the scriptures. Perhaps you will also recognize this pattern in your life and see how God is working with you to prepare your heart to repent and believe. But before getting to the pattern, let me share one interesting insight. I was intrigued by the title of the book, A Broke Heart. Not a broken heart, but a broke heart. The author explained that a wild horse that has been tamed is not broken by the process, but conversely discovers the joy and freedom of becoming one with its master, a state described as being broke, not broken. Likewise, God's intent is not to break us, but to redeem us. He does not want us to be broken-hearted, but to have broke hearts and contrite spirits so that he can take the reins of our lives and guide us with his love to receive all of his promised blessings. The Lord said, I search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Horse trainers seek to build a relationship with the horse based on trust and respect to become one with and united with the horse. They describe the relationship building process not as breaking the horse, but as partnering with or starting the horse. 
Based on our understanding of gospel truths, perhaps the best way to describe our relationship with God will be to describe it not as a partnership, but as a covenant relationship. God starts us down the covenant path with the first ordinance of baptism. Covenants are designed to unite man with God. Elder Holland described it this way. Covenants always deal with the central issue between perfect, immortal God and imperfect, mortal man. Why they are separated and how they can unite again. The Latin root for covenant is convenire, to agree, unite, come together. In short, all covenants since the beginning have essentially been about one thing, the atonement of Jesus Christ, the at one provided every man, woman, and child, if they will but honor the terms of that coming together, that convenire, or covenant, whose central feature is always the atoning sacrifice of the Son of God himself. Well, whether it be the relationship between the horse trainer and the horse, or the relationship between God and man, the objective is the same, to become united one with the other. Now, let's turn to the pattern described in the book, A Broke Heart, that describes the process of breaking a horse. The parallels to how God works with us will become readily apparent. The pattern has four objectives. The first objective is to establish direction. The author explains that a horse will yield its will to its trainer when the pressure is applied by a confident and gentle leader that it can trust and respect. The goal is for the horse to move its feet in the direction the trainer wants it to go. This is done by applying pressure, by pointing, clucking, or slapping the ground. The horse may just buck and run wild, try to jump out of the pen, or not move at all, which is called being stuck. Have you ever felt stuck or wanted to run away when life gets difficult? The second objective is for the horse to give the trainer two eyes. The trainer stands in the center of the pen and motions for the horse to come and give him or her two eyes. If it does, the trainer gives it a rest. Otherwise, the trainer gets it to move again by pointing, clucking, or slapping the ground. Giving the trainer two eyes is a vulnerable position because the horse's hind legs are its most powerful weapons. The third objective is to get the horse to change direction. After getting two eyes, the trainer steps back a couple of feet and points in the opposite direction. The object is to get the horse to change direction at the trainer's command. The fourth objective is to establish a place of rest in the center of the pen. The horse comes to know that the closer it is to the trainer, the more rest and peace it will receive. The horse learns that when it yields to the pressure applied by the trainer, ultimately the trainer will grant a rest. I found the parallels to be striking. The confident and gentle leader that we can trust and respect is Jesus Christ. The round pen is mortality, or whatever situation we find ourselves in that is causing us discomfort or stretching us physically, emotionally, 
mentally or spiritually? I have summarized each of the four objectives into one word. Each word rhymes to make it easy to remember and to note in my scriptures when I recognize the pattern unfolding. You might want to do the same. The first, established direction, I call desire. God stands in the center of our lives and does the equivalent of pointing, clucking, and slapping the ground to get our attention and to get our feet moving. He wants us to start moving, to trust Him. He wants us to begin the process of aligning our desires with His. Elder Neil A. Maxwell taught, actually, everything depends initially and finally on our desires. These shape our thought patterns. Our desires thus precede our deeds and lie at the very cores of our souls, tilting us toward or away from God. God can educate our desires. Others seek to manipulate our desires, but it is we who form the desires, the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Mortality was designed to give us plenty of round pen opportunities to learn and grow in order to reconcile the desires of our hearts to his. The second objective, giving two eyes, I shortened to inquire. He invites us to give him two eyes, which is to seek his face, to pray with full purpose of heart and real intent to know his will in our lives. The Lord loves it when we inquire of him. To Alma, he said, And because thou hast inquired of me, thou art blessed. President Nelson taught, When you reach up for the Lord's power in your life, with the same intensity that a drowning person has when grasping and gasping for air, power from Jesus Christ will be yours. When the Savior knows you truly want to reach up to him, when he can feel that the greatest desire of your heart is to draw his power into your life, you will be led by the Holy Ghost to know exactly what you should do. When you spiritually stretch beyond anything you have ever done before, then his power will flow into you. The third objective, change direction. I have shortened to require he invites us to change direction based on our understanding of His will. Repentance is about change. It's yielding our hearts to God with an easiness and willingness to move in the direction He requires. Fourth, establish a place of rest. I shortened to retire. He extends to us His rest. As we turn to the Savior and draw closer to Him, he releases the pressure and gives us rest. The Savior taught, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, remember the pattern. Desire? inquire, require, and retire. God has given me many round pen experiences in my life, experiences that have blessed me by stretching me and causing me to rely more fully on Him. The round pen of my mission as a young missionary in Japan, the round pen of marriage, the round pen of fatherhood, the round pen of my career in Japan, 
the round pen of losing loved ones early due to tragic accidents and disease, and most recently, the round pen of the 70 and the presiding bishopric. When I was called to be a 70, I was humbled and overwhelmed with feelings of inadequacy. I'm sure President Worthing can relate with those feelings. I was invited to begin the journey of becoming a special witness of Jesus Christ in all the world. The natural man in me was overwhelmed. I did not buck or try to jump the fence, but it was not long before I was on my knees, giving God two eyes with more intensity than at any other time in my life. I experienced for myself what President Nelson taught. When you spiritually stretch beyond anything you've ever done before, then his power will flow into you. I began to understand what the Lord required, the changes that I needed to make to be what he was calling me to be. Because of his grace, I felt a release of pressure, a rest, if you will, and a peaceful reassurance of his love. Now, let's turn to the scriptures and see how this pattern plays out in the lives of Enos and Alma the Younger. As you may recall, Enos went into the forest to hunt beasts, and the Lord began to establish direction in his life by getting his attention. Enos recorded, The words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart. Has the Spirit ever worked on you like that? Something someone says or has said, for some unknown reason, sinks into your heart and shapes your desires? And then he described what he called the wrestle which he had before God. He may have been kicking and bucking a little. Enos then knelt before his maker and gave him two eyes, perhaps for the first time in his life. He described it this way, And my soul hungered, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. And all the day long did I cry unto him. Yea, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. Based on this sincere and fervent prayer, his life took a turn in direction. He turned more fully to God, devoted the rest of his life to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and rejoiced in it above that of the world. He closed his record by describing the rest the Lord granted him. He declared, And I soon go to the place of my rest, which is with my Redeemer, for I know that in him I shall rest. Now let's see how this pattern unfolded in the life of Alma the Younger. As you may recall, God went to some length to educate his desires. Alma recorded, For I went about with the sons of Mosiah seeking to destroy the church of God. But behold, God sent his old holy angel to stop us by the way. And behold, he spake unto us as if it were the voice of thunder and the whole earth did tremble beneath our feet. Talk about pointing, clucking, and slapping the ground. And we all fell to the earth. And now for three days and for three nights was I racked, even with the pains of a damned soul. That was quite a wake-up call. Perhaps we all need a heaven-sent wake-up call from time to time to get us moving in the right direction. And then Alma described the moment he gave God two eyes. Perhaps, like Enos, it was for the first time. 
He recorded that he was three days and three nights in the most bitter pain and anguish of soul. But he did cry out unto the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy. As a result, he made a 180-degree change in his life. He wrote, From that time, even until now, I have labored without ceasing that I might bring souls unto repentance. I love how Alma described the rest he obtained when he turned his life to God. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. There are many other examples in the scriptures where we see this pattern play out. As you study the Doctrine and Covenants this year, you may want to look for them. I've come across many already in my study. Is this pattern sounding familiar to you? Have you seen this pattern play out in your own life? We all have round pens in our lives. Situations that stretch us and cause us to grow. Situations that cause us to turn to God more fully in our lives. Sometimes it may be the negative consequences of sin. But often it's the positive consequences of life's challenges and opportunities. It may be the challenge of school, work, relationships, health, family, COVID, parenting, or a combination of these and other challenges. How is God getting your attention? Are you bucking and kicking and trying to jump the fence? Or perhaps even blaming God for your situation? If you do not turn away from God, but turn to Him, your round pen experiences will not break you, but they will redeem you. Instead of resisting, humble yourself before God and let Him educate your desires. Give Him two eyes. Yes, you might feel a bit vulnerable, but remember, He loves you. You can trust Him. Pour out your whole soul to Him, and I promise that He will answer your prayers and His power will flow into you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I promise that if you ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will tell you all things what ye should do by the power of the Holy Ghost. Once you know what he requires, commit to do it. Through the enabling power of the atonement of Jesus Christ, you can make the changes in your life that he requires. One of my wife's favorite scriptures is, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. All things includes the sometimes difficult but necessary changes he requires. I promise that when you do, you can retire your fears and will find peace and rest to your soul. In summary, desire the things of God. Inquire of him. Do what he requires, and you will find rest to your soul. You can retire to the safety of his arms. This pattern is not a checklist. I have found it to be a recurring pattern in my life. It does not happen on our timetable, but his. The process of reconciling our will to his is the work of a lifetime. It takes patience, faith, trust, and resilience. I witness that Jesus Christ is the gentle and loving God 
that stands at the center of our lives. He invites each of us to repent and to believe with broke hearts and contrite spirits so that the power of his atoning sacrifice may flow into our lives. Unlike the motorcycle reserve tank, which has a finite capacity, the blessings of his atonement are infinite and eternal, like a well of living water springing up into everlasting life. I testify that Jesus is the Christ. As we enter into a covenant relationship with him, we will experience the joy and exhilaration of becoming one with him. When we give him the reins, he will make of our lives more than we could ever dream, more than we could ever do running wild through life on our own. His promises are sure and his grace is sufficient to get us home. If we will believe and repent with broke hearts and contrite spirits. May God bless us as we strive so to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Choosing to be Changed by the Savior. We've just heard from Bishop L. Todd Budge. After the break, we'll return with Neil J. Anderson for Responding to the Savior's Invitation, Come. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Choosing to be Changed by the Savior. Next is Neil J. Anderson, a professor of linguistics and the English language at Brigham Young University at the time of this address, titled Responding to the Savior's Invitation, Come. My focus this morning is to direct our attention to the invitation to come unto Christ through the ordinances and covenants of the gospel, ministering to others with a humble attitude of self-evaluation. I want to use the word come to organize my comments today. Each of the four letters of the word can serve as a reminder of four important points I would like to make. First, the letter C reminds us to come. Come is a verb of movement. The use of the word in the context we are examining this morning is as an imperative or command. We could consider that this invitation is not merely a suggestion, but rather a commandment that we move from where we are to where Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus Christ would like us to be. We are the ones that must make the effort to move. Of the many examples in the scriptures of invitations to come, I would like to draw attention to two. Think about the need for movement as we read these verses. First, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 we read an invitation from the Savior himself. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Something that I notice when I read the invitations to come into Christ is that there is usually the invitation followed by a promise. Read these verses again and notice the invitations followed by the promises. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We see a similar pattern in the invitation extended by Moroni at the conclusion of the Book of Mormon. Yea, come unto me and be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, Then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. If we are to move closer to the Savior Jesus Christ and respond to these invitations, we must yield our whole hearts to Heavenly Father. In this way, he will know of our sincere desires to become one with him and his Son. These are clear invitations followed by clear promises. We are to come unto Christ. It is an invitation extended with promises. I love singing hymn 117, Come Unto Jesus. The fourth verse is particularly meaningful for me. Come unto Jesus from every nation, from every land and isle of the sea, unto the high and lowly in station, ever he calls, come to me. Remember the sea in the word come and come unto Christ. The second letter in the word come can remind us of the ordinances of the gospel. Come unto Christ through the ordinances and covenants of the gospel. From true to the faith, we read that in the church an ordinance is a sacred formal act performed by the authority of the priesthood. Some ordinances are essential for our exaltation. These ordinances are called saving ordinances. They include baptism, confirmation, ordination to the Melchizedek priesthood for brethren, the temple endowment, and the marriage sealing. With each of these ordinances, we enter into solemn covenants with the Lord. Ordinances and covenants help us remember who we are. They remind us of our duty to God. The Lord has provided them to help us come unto him and receive eternal life. 
When we honor them, he strengthens us. Notice the link between ordinances and covenants. When we enter into an ordinance of the gospel, we also make covenants with our Heavenly Father. I would like to review briefly with you two ordinances that we participate in that help us to respond to the Savior's invitation to come. The ordinance of the sacrament and temple ordinances. We are reminded every Sabbath day about the covenants we made at baptism by participating in the ordinance of the sacrament. As you sit in sacrament meeting and listen to the sacramental prayers, do you listen with your ears or with your heart? I appreciate so very much the blessing of reciting the sacrament prayers in my mind as I listen to the appointed priesthood holders bless the bread and the water. The sacrament reminds me not just of the covenants I made at baptism, but also of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. The Atonement of Christ truly qualifies Him to invite you and me to follow Him into the presence of our Heavenly Father. Recall the invitation we read from Christ to come unto Him from Matthew. We are all heavy laden. We each have cares, concerns, and sins that cause us to be heavy laden. It is through our repentance that we can receive rest. It is through our continual obedience to the commandments that we receive rest. It is through the atoning sacrifice of the Savior that makes it possible for Him to make a promise of rest. As we desire to respond to the Savior's invitation to come, we will have to leave behind our weaknesses and sins. The cleansing power of repentance allows us to experience the peace that Christ promised. Each week, we can partake of the sacrament and feel the cleansing power of the Atonement in our lives. In 1989, Elder David B. Haight taught, Our most valuable worship experience in the sacrament meeting is the sacred ordinance of the sacrament, for it provides the opportunity to focus our minds and hearts upon the Savior and His sacrifice. Next Sunday, I invite you to listen to the sacramental prayers with new ears and with your heart. By worthily partaking of the sacrament, you are responding to the Savior's invitation to come. Temple ordinances are the second ordinance that I wish to remind us of this morning. Everything we do in the Church should point us as individuals and as families to temple ordinances. All of the ordinances of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ invite us to improve our lives and come unto the Savior. Temple ordinances require that we prepare to make sacred covenants with our Heavenly Father. The ordinances of the endowment and sealing of husband and wife are sacred temple ordinances. A simple definition of the word endowment 
is gift. In the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, we see that the word also means natural capacity, power, or ability. As we participate in the ordinances of the temple, we receive a gift from our Heavenly Father. We also learn about our natural capacities. We receive power, and Heavenly Father increases our abilities. We are reminded of the role of Jesus Christ in our lives. We are reminded that through His atoning sacrifice, we can cleanse and purify ourselves and prepare ourselves to enter back into His presence. Our family had the opportunity this past week to enter the Salt Lake Temple with our youngest son and his fiancée to witness their marriage and sealing. What a blessing to witness such a powerful ordinance with powerful blessings. After we have participated in temple ordinances and made these sacred covenants for ourselves, we have the opportunity of returning to the temple again to perform these sacred ordinances for deceased family members. We can assist our family members who did not have the opportunity of participating in these ordinances for themselves to receive the blessings of these ordinances and extend to them the invitation to come unto Christ. I challenge each of you to obtain a temple recommend and then remain worthy to use it. Go to the temple often. Think about how the ordinances you have participated in draw you closer to Jesus Christ. Think about how you are responding to the invitation to come unto Christ. Third, the letter M. Come unto Christ through the ordinances and covenants of the gospel, ministering to others. As we minister to others, we provide service. It is through true service to others that we demonstrate to Heavenly Father the purity of our hearts. Elder Dallin H. Oaks taught, To follow in the footsteps of the only perfect person who ever lived, we must expect to stretch our souls. Examples improve society more than sermons. Most people would rather see a sermon than hear one. Service that stretches our souls is the most meaningful. My father clearly taught me the importance of soul-stretching service and by living a sermon. I grew up in Perry, Utah. The stake in which I grew up had a dairy farm and fruit orchards which provided regular opportunities for service. On one occasion, it was time to harvest the hay, and our ward was assigned a particular day to work. My dad was always one of the first to volunteer for these priesthood assignments. I recall him reminding me one evening that the next day was our assignment and that we needed to be at the church farm at 5 p.m. We arrived a few minutes before 5 Additional brethren and young men arrived, and we worked together in bringing in the hay. I remember that we had been working for an hour or so, 
and some of the brethren were beginning to leave. Some who had arrived after we had were already leaving. I looked at my dad and suggested that we could go as well. He smiled and said it didn't matter what the others were doing. We had agreed to serve for the entire time of the assignment, and there was still work to be done. The response was kind and clear. I had better stop watching others and stay focused on my opportunity to serve as I had agreed to do. That example of soul-stretching service has helped me so many times in my life. I appreciate the challenge that Sister Bonnie D. Parkin gave us at a devotional on February 13th of this year. She asked us to find our personal ministries and to serve others around us. She said, Personal ministry can answer prayers. We can offer a daily prayer that enlists the help of the Lord Jesus Christ as we ask, Help me to be the answer to someone's prayer today. The Lord consistently answers this prayer as we tune our eyes and ears to discerning the needs of those around us. Please never suppress a generous thought. How many have asked in your prayers to be the answer to someone else's prayers? Let us be living sermons of service. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland recently challenged us to come unto the Savior through service to others. He stated, The people around us need a lot of help, and I think the Lord expects us to join in that effort. I think that is what he meant when he said, Come, see what I do and how I spend my time. On the example of the Savior himself and his call to his apostles, and with the need for peace and comfort ringing in our ears, I ask you to be a healer, be a helper, be someone who joins in the work of Christ in lifting burdens, in making the load lighter, in making things better. Someone sitting within reasonable proximity to you tonight is carrying a spiritual, physical, or emotional burden of some sort, or some other affliction drawn from life's catalog of a thousand kinds of sorrows. In the spirit of Christ's first invitation to Philip and Andrew, and then to Peter and the whole of his twelve apostles, Jump into this work, help people, heal old wounds, and try to make things better. Through soul-stretching service to others, we respond to the Savior's invitation to come. Finally, let us use the last letter in the word come to remind us to be engaged in self-evaluation. Come unto Christ through the ordinances and covenants of the gospel, ministering to others with a humble attitude of self-evaluation. Over the years, I have learned that evaluations we make of our own performance can fall on a continuum. 
We can label one end of the continuum as superficial self-evaluation. This type of evaluation lacks the depth of reflective thought. We skim over our weaknesses and view our strengths as better than they perhaps are. Without much thought, we declare ourselves in good spiritual condition and worthy of more blessings from Heavenly Father. At the other end of the continuum, we find hypercritical self-evaluation. At this end of the continuum are those who find fault with every aspect of their lives. These individuals pick apart their good lives and service in the kingdom. They believe that there is very little good in what they have accomplished or in the service they have rendered. Our goal should be to engage in self-evaluation and reflection that is in the middle of this continuum, critical but healthy self-evaluation. When we engage in critical but healthy self-evaluation, we can be honest with ourselves. We can clearly see our strengths and our weaknesses. We know what we can do to improve our weaknesses. We recognize that through the atoning sacrifice of our Savior, we do not have to be perfect today. And we can know what things we must do to strengthen ourselves. I have found that three places in particular provide the perfect setting for deep personal self-evaluation and reflection. During personal, daily scripture study, while partaking of the sacrament each week in sacrament meeting, and in the temple. One of the first ways to receive insights from Heavenly Father as we engage in deep self-evaluation is through our individual study of the scriptures. Daily scripture study is one of the best ways I know of to become aware of my strengths and weaknesses. We must each find the time and place that is best for us to meaningfully study the scriptures. I have found that for me, the best time is in the early hours of the morning. I love arising early and spending time in the scriptures and in prayer before turning my attention to other activities for the day. In a recent fireside for young adults, Elder David A. Bednar taught us a pattern for effective scripture study. He taught that you and I must look to and come unto Christ, who is the fountain of living waters, by reading, studying, searching, and feasting upon the words of Christ as contained in the Holy Scriptures. The central and recurring theme of the Book of Mormon is the invitation for all to come unto Christ and be perfected in Him. The teachings, warnings, admonitions, and episodes in this remarkable book of Scripture all focus upon and testify of Jesus the Christ as the Redeemer and our Savior. As I have read the Book of Mormon multiple times, I continue to find the questions asked by Alma in Alma chapter 5 to be the most meaningful self-evaluation questions. And now, behold, 
I ask you, my brethren of the Church, have ye spiritually been born of God? Have ye received his image in your countenances? Have ye experienced this mighty change in your hearts? Do ye exercise faith in the redemption of him who created you? Do you look forward with an eye of faith and view this mortal body raised in immortality and this corruption raised in incorruption to stand before God to be judged according to the deeds which have been done in the mortal body? I say unto you, can you imagine to yourselves that ye hear the voice of the Lord saying unto you in that day, Come unto me, ye blessed, for behold, your works have been the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth. And now I, Alma, do command you in the language of him who hath commanded me, that ye observe to do the words which I have spoken unto you. I speak by way of command unto you that belong to the church, and unto those who do not belong to the church, I speak by way of invitation, saying, Come, and be baptized unto repentance, that ye also may be partakers of the fruit of the tree of life. I challenge you to reread the entire fifth chapter of Alma. This chapter provides excellent self-evaluation questions that we can ask ourselves. During the quietness of the sacrament is a second place where we can take the opportunity to engage in deep self-evaluation. Heavenly Father will bring to our minds the things that we have done that require that we make improvements. He will also bring to our minds the peace that will confirm that we are making progress. Finally, as we regularly enter the temple, we can use the perfectness of that quiet environment to reflect and pray. Within the walls of the temple, Heavenly Father has provided many answers to my concerns. During a recent visit to the temple, I whispered to my wife that I could sit in the celestial room forever. She smiled and said, But we had better be about our work. The quietness of the temple can provide a refuge from the cares and concerns of the world, and we can be better prepared to move back into the world and be instruments in our Heavenly Father's hands in serving those around us. As I conclude this morning, let me remind you of the challenge I gave at the beginning. My desire is that you will depart from the devotional today with at least one idea that you can apply in your lives to become better Latter-day Saints. I also hope that you can use the word come to remember the Savior's invitation. Let me close with the scripture that helps me more fully understand this invitation to come. This invitation is accompanied by perhaps the greatest blessing of all. Verily thus saith the Lord, It shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments 
shall see my face and know that I am. What greater promise could we receive? This is the blessing that I seek, and I invite you to seek the same blessing. I testify that Christ wants each of us to respond to his invitation. Come unto Christ through the ordinances and covenants of the gospel, ministering to others with a humble attitude of self-evaluation. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Choosing to be Changed by the Savior with thoughts from Bishop L. Todd Budge and Neil J. Anderson. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.